First Baptist Bay. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Lee Petty. I'm filling in for Colby, our preaching elder. He is, uh, he's out right now, but um, so you get to deal with me today, which is fun for me because I get to study God's Word and mix. And then if you need a good nap, this is a good time to get it. So here we go. Um, next week, we have a great treat. Uh, Jacob Posey's going to be teaching, and Jacob is uh, right with God's Word, and I am always love it when Jacob's teaching. So uh, show up next week, and then Colby should be back from vacation after that. And so uh, y'all come on in next week if you want something better than what I'm doing. So um, one of my duties here, one of my roles or privileges, is I get to help out with Awanas. And Awanas is one of those coolest, funnest things because it involves a bunch of kids who are having fun and excited to be at church all the time because they get to have fun. So um, this week, I was, we have our opening ceremony, and I opened it up to the kids, and I asked this question to the kids. I said, um, if you were king, what would you do? If you were king, what would you do? You may have some of these, have some ideas in your own head of what you would do if you were king. And so we had some great discussion, good stuff. Um, I'm not going to point out all the kids. We don't need to get any kids in trouble with their parents. But um, if you were king, what would you do? One young man said, I would eat candy all day, every day. Right? Doesn't that sound good? Another one, one one up that, said, I would eat ice cream every day, all day. So ice cream is the best. I'm, I'm on track with that. The next one, this is great. I would tell people... What I want them to do if I was king. I'd tell them what I want to do. I'd say, you can move to Canada and be prime minister there if you wanted. Um, this is the next one. I would wear really nice clothes, just dress sharp. And the young man heard that. And he said, you know what? I'd wear underwear every day. <laughs> I said, are you not wearing underwear right now? <laughs> uh, uh, here's another one. I would have a Lamborghini. Okay, that's great. Lamborghini. That's really fun. Here's an, and he, then he thought about it a second. He said, you know what? I want two Lamborghinis just in case my first one breaks down. Oh, my goodness. Um, and then, uh, thankfully, oh, I had this one. Tell me, I would tell, uh, I'd give everybody $1 million. I said, now, now you could be part of the U.S. government giving out money. <laughs> and then... Uh, but these are the best. I love this one. This was a, Maggie Parker Ravitch said this. I would give everybody a kitten. <laughs> give everybody a kitten. I was like, you can't eat kittens? What are you talking about? She said, not to eat, to pet, because they're just so soft. So, what, I mean, isn't that great? Have a kitten? And then, uh, and then Eleanor Lee, she had this one. She says, I'd give everybody a baby chick. Because what's better than a kitten is a baby chick, right? So I just love it. I love the hearts of these kids, how they, they're so transparent, right? They tell you what they want. And us, as we get older, it's kinda, we kind of conceal it, yet we still have those desires to be king and have our own ways. So as we get into God's Word today, we're going to be looking at uh, James and John, most specifically, a couple of the disciples who came to Jesus with a specific request. And the request was, can we sit on your left and right? into positions of authority or honor. That way they can, um, well, we'll get into what they, they were thinking. But that's what, that was what their request. And Jesus said, 
if you want to be great, there's another way to get about it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's really great. But before we get started, I better jump into God's, um, God's word, and but first pray with him. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your son, Jesus, that gives life. Thank you for this opportunity to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ that we can live worthy of the calling, live a life that is glorifying to your name, to your will, and not our own. And Father, I just pray that, that you use these words um, to speak through me, and that they, anything that is not of you is quickly forgotten. You're a mighty God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Mark. I think we're, start, we're about the one-year mark in Mark. So um, we've been in, been in it for a bit. And so we're in chapter 10, and just kind of a quick recap. Um, these disciples are on their journey to Jerusalem. Jesus, is, uh, he's already had the transfiguration. And so we've had a couple of opportunities for the disciples to, they're looking for greatness. So we've seen, we've discussed and had a sermon on, on greatness is, uh, is being like one of the little children. They are arguing about who's the greatest we see. Um, on the road, this is back in nine. Um, they they were arguing, and then they kept silent. And then Jesus said to them, "If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all." And so this is pretty important for where we're going. This is um, we the heart. Most of the disciples, or all the disciples, of where they of who was the greatest. We then enter into. Um, Jesus, again, says, hey, let the little children come to me. The disciples are pushing them away, right? And he's like, hey, the kingdom of God is, you need to become like these children, humble, uh, teachable, moldable, right? So that they become like one of these little children. And he, sa- and he said, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Pretty convicting. And then we have uh, the rich young ruler that, where this man comes to Jesus, runs towards him, says, great teacher, who, or, or great teacher, will you uh, tell me the way to eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, follow the law. And he says, I've done that. Then Jesus says, hey, sell everything and follow me. And then you'll have great treasure in heaven. And then Jesus, uh, this guy leaves sad, left sad away from Jesus. We don't want to leave Jesus sad, do we? He's a guy that fulfills everything for us. So why would we leave sad? Um, most likely. And then we have again, uh, last week we talked about how the disciples said, hey, we've left everything just like, uh, um, left everything just like you told the guy with um, the rich young ruler. We left everything and have followed after you. And Jesus says, you surely will have your reward. Reward. 100-fold, you'll have your reward. Pretty, pretty powerful, right? Um, and, he said, and so getting some affirmation to the disciples for their service to him, okay? Which I think kind of plays in where we're heading today. And then Jesus tells them on the road, and this is on the road to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Jesus is heading um, what, what he's looking forward to and what's coming is he's going to be nailed on the cross for our sins, tortured, um, and and us. We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, 
and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So this we discussed last week. This is Jesus' purpose. He is walking, walking on the road to Jerusalem. And he's telling the disciples what's going to happen. It's really interesting in Luke's account. Luke says this was hidden from them. They did not understand it. So this was hidden from them. I think that's kind of important because it seems so out of context why John would come to Jesus directly after this saying and say, why, uh, make me on your left and right, put us there. So that's kind of the backstory of where we're heading into this. And so let's just dig in. In 1035 is where we're at. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? Okay. I kind of think of this. Here recently, I come home from work, and I had, uh, it's like every day of work, kind of tiring. I come home, relax, have a wonderful dinner. Meg always makes an amazing meal, which is so good. Um, but we come home, and then Tana's like, okay, kind of like taking your boots off when you get walk in the door. It's like, oh, man, that's nice. Have a seat in a chair and brings me a beer. It's like, oh, man, you're really doing good, Tana. That's nice, very nice. And then, uh, yeah, I cleaned my room today. We, I did this outside, done all these things. And then it's like, Okay, then the first, next question is like, okay, this is getting over the top. This is out of normal. Not right, okay? Like, what do you want? What do you want? And we've all had this, I'm sure. If you had kids just for a minute, you kind of see when they're trying to manipulate something and say, look, look at all that good stuff I've done for you. Now, what do you want? And I think that's where Jesus is here. Jesus is like, okay, uh, what do you want? And I, and I find, find it interesting. Why would James and John... Feel, what are they pointing to where they say, hey, Jesus, do what I want? We kind of talk like Joel, like what Joel was saying about my will and not God's will in prayer. We oftentimes come to Jesus, hey, Jesus, look at what I've done. I've done some really good stuff this week. Man, I've been in your word, done some good things. Now will you do what I want? And Jesus is just going to say, hey, tell it to me. Tell me what you want. But... It's not, we don't want our will done. We want God's will done. And that's just so amazing. But I love this whole interaction is about these two guys who want their will done. And we're going to get more into that too. So, uh, so these guys, James and John, good disciples of Jesus, brothers, sons of Zebedee, uh, their father, sons of thunder and other sections of scripture. They come to Jesus boldly, which I love it. Come to Jesus with what's on your mind. And be ready for correction too, right? So that's some good stuff. Um, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your glory. Okay, so we kind of got to understand what the, the Jewish mindset is for these disciples, what they expected once they got to Jerusalem. We'll see right before this that they were afraid. Um, in verse, we'll say 32 here. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the 12 aside again. 
and began to tell them the things that would happen. I'm like, why? I mean, afraid. They didn't know what was coming. What they expected, what they expected in the Jewish mindset, they had their Messiah. They were in a political tyranny, as it was, with the Romans. And so they expected that their king, their Messiah, Jesus Christ, was coming into Jerusalem to conquer. To conquer the Romans, set up his political government that would rule and reign the world. This is, I mean, I, when you look at the Old Testament um, prophecy of this, this was not an exaggeration. It's actually an expectation that Jesus will reign the world. They just, what they had wrong was when that would happen and what had to take place first. And we'll get into what was going to take place first. And actually, Jesus already told them, I must die and be risen on the third day first before he his kingdom. So they were looking to that political kingdom that Jesus would be uh, building. We too look forward to that, right? We want that day when our perfect king is reigning over this world. And we can submit to his authority and, um, and not the crazy governments that we have around here that willed, right? So they asked to be on right and left. And so the right and left is um, places of authority, honor. They wanted to be that right-hand man for Jesus. I find it real interesting that they love each other, brothers, so they come at them together. Eventually, they'd be arguing on who would be the right and not the left. So that would eventually take place. Um, so I find that real interesting. So I, I try to give an example of what they expected Jesus' response to be. So flip back with me to Genesis uh, 41. This is a story of Joseph. And uh, most of us know this story where Joseph, uh, son of Jacob, is sold into slavery in Egypt. Um, he's the slave, eventually ends up in jail for the Pharaoh. Uh, there's a dream, and he deciphers the dream for Pharaoh. And then the dream is that there will be seven years of famine, seven years of plenty. So store up for what you're making during the, in the seven years of plenty. And so because of this um, saying, or because he was able to interpret this, um, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all things. So we'll visit about that. And so this is Pharaoh's right man. And I think this is kind of what they expected, James and John expected, whenever they approached Jesus with how they wanted Jesus to respond. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? The Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it in Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in a garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride, the, ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent... No man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. 
I find it interesting that James and John were approaching Jesus. Jesus, can I sit on your left and right? Basically because of their, maybe their proximity to Jesus, their friendship with Jesus. Maybe they were pointing to their, um, their past uh, good works, maybe pushing the kids away from Jesus. We kind of see it's a whole mess with how the disciples follow after Jesus. But they were, they wanted that position of authority. And um, how often do we want that position of authority, right, above Christ or even beside him? It's like, I, hey, the junior Holy Spirit is talking to me. I know what's best, so let me be that guy to come to. Pretty So we'll dig back in in 38 here. Jesus, and, and I'll back on that right hand on the other, on your left hand, in your glory. Your glory. And again, I, I'm going to encourage the church leaders. I don't think I have time to get into it, but Matthew 25, the end of Matthew 25 is talking about when Jesus comes back. This is a separation of the sheep and the goats. And it will say, when Jesus comes back in his glory, he will sit on the throne of glory. This is that political kingdom that the Jewish people and us that we're looking forward to. So I'd encourage you to look at the resemblances in the same language, left and right, the um, coming back, the throne of glory, and also um, what is being prepared in the kingdom, which is really neat. And I think a great, great lesson that you can jump into. But as we jump forward, you do not know what you ask. Ask, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with a baptism that I am baptized with? Okay. We spoke about this. Joel hit on it. And I think I love the Holy Spirit works through all the lessons going on in a church service. Um, The cup I am about to drink. This is the wrath of God on Jesus. Actually, the wrath of God on sin that sin is that Jesus is taking on our sin onto his back. And so he's like, are you able to take the cup that I take? And we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, um, um, Father, if it is your will, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will. And so he's asking them, are you able to take the punishment? They don't know. They've been, it was hidden from them, right? They don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, um, and then the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. This is pointing to uh, Jesus being submerged in death, right? Our perfect sacrifice, dying for our sins, he's going to be dead. And that's the baptism that he's going to be in. We, we see this symbolic in our baptism. We bury you uh, in, the, in the death of your sins, but rise with the life of Christ, okay? So we, there, there's newness of life. Um, but as far as the baptism, it is dead. And so, so are you able? And I love their response. This is so great. Super simple. We are able. We are able. Now, I do not think they were lying. I think this was a true statement. I think they were able. This is absolutely remarkable. They were able. They were willing to die, take a beating, do it all for Jesus Christ. Just as Peter, we see this in, when Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his trail goes up and lops off an ear of a dude in an army coming to arrest Jesus. He's, they're willing to fight and die 
for, to put in the position Jesus on his throne. I think that's a true statement. I think we are able. They didn't know what it all would take. We often see this in, um, I mean, you can see this in sacrifice for one's country. You don't know what, what it would take, but it's sacrificing oneself for another. The difference is Jesus didn't come to be died for and put in that position. He came to die for us for that. He sacrificed himself for us, which is most powerful. Um, It's not what Jesus wanted. It was not for them to sacrifice to preserve his life, but for him to sacrifice to give them life. And praise God that we needed that. Most kings would rather have, uh, they had their subjects that would die to keep them on their throne, right? We see that all over. Um, when you send an army out, it's to keep your position where you're at. Yet here's these guys. We have Jesus, the creator of the universe, that holds all things together, is willing to die for your sin and my sin. And that is remarkable. It's absolutely opposite of anything that makes sense. Why would a king die for his people and not the people for his king? It's totally opposite. And we're going to keep seeing that as we move forward. So, and so he tells them, we are, or the disciples tell them that. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. You will be baptized with a baptism with which we will, there's a lot of baptisms in there. You will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. So this indeed will happen to them. Um, we see it in Acts. We see James is martyred for his uh, beliefs and standing for Jesus. It will happen. Um, they will be, uh, we see John that is um, exiled to, to an island where he um, writes the book of Revelation. We see there is persecution against those who believe but not before Jesus, okay? It's very important to recognize that Jesus says, yeah, it's going to happen, but I'm going to do it first. I'm going to be your example of how to suffer and suffer well. All right, so we're going to jump, jump back into Mark here. You will indeed drink the cup that I drink and be baptized, the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared. If we look back at that Matthew 25, it talks about the kingdom being prepared, uh, being prepared for the sheep. There's a, there's a, pla- there's a place of, um, where those who believe and accept Jesus Christ, they will be entering that kingdom. Praise God that we don't have to stay here on this earth, that we have a kingdom that we can be part of. And then we jump in, and I love 31 here. 31 is great, or 41, excuse me. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So Jesus calls them to himself. Okay, so these guys were greatly displeased with James and John. Why were they displeased? Because they were trying to put themselves in a position of authority over even the other disciples. And, and, it's, and the fact that here's Jesus rebuking James and John, and they're upset with James and John, it just points to the fact that they, they, they were more upset that they didn't think of it first. That's kind of my, 
they wish they would have come up with that first. And so, so, so these guys were just super, they were upset, indignant is what another translation said. They were, they were sideways with James and John because they dare come at, at Jesus and put themselves in, at their authority, or in the positions of authority. And so Jesus, and I love this statement. You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay. You don't have to turn the TV on for five minutes to realize that there are people that want positions of power for their own glory and not the Lord's. We could see that. I could point to American politics. That's all you have to look at. American politics. You could have, um, it's like dog eat dog. We're all fighting over the same scrap of bone to be in authority over everybody else. I, I mean, I don't understand it. I, I just, yeah. I mean, Nancy Pelosi must be 173 years old, yet she still wants to be in power. It's like, move on. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? But it's all about that position of power. And so, we, in, is church immune to this? Because we see here later, and he, he says, yet it shall not be so among you. Shall not be so among you. Church should be immune to this, yet are we? I mean, positions of authority or power are seek for for the wrong reasons all the time. And, and, um, but seeking it for God's glory is totally different. I want to just read this little section from Will Durant, the book of The Story of Civilization. This is talking about, um, this is talking about John Calvin's church in, uh, in Geneva. And so in the 1600s, he's established his church in Geneva, about 20,000 people there. And then they've made some rules. So they just, this is the Reformation, just got rid of the Catholics out of the, out of the town, booted them because, of course, Protestantism is always better. So that's what they were saying. And so we have, have now this better thing that's supposed to be in Christ alone. For sure, God's word alone and all those things. Uh, the, the whole thing, reason why the Reformation was set up and started, now we kind of have this reverting back. So just kind of give you an, ex- an example of authority being used for the wrong reasons. To regulate lay conduct, a system of home visits was established. One or another of the elders visited yearly, each house in the quarter assigned to him. And questioned the occupants on all phases of their lives. Consistatory and council joined in the prohibition of gambling, card playing, profanity, drunkenness, the frequenting of taverns, dancing. Uh, that's a good Baptist one. Which was then enhanced by kissing and embraces, indecent or irregular songs, so no Garth Brooks, um, excess in entertainment, excess in entertainment. I don't even know, I mean, how do you measure that? Extravagance in living, that's America. Immodesty in dress, Tana. The allowable color and quantity of clothing. And the number of dishes permissible at a meal, Meg, just so you know. Were specified by law. Law determined all this stuff. Jewelry and lace were frowned upon. A woman was jailed for arranging her hair to an immoral height. 
Motley Parton. <laughs> Theatrical performances were limited to religious plays, and then those two were forbidden. Children were to be named after, not, uh, be named not after saints in the Catholic calendar, but preferably after the Old Testament characters. An obstinate father served four days in prison for insisting on naming his son Claude, strong name, Claude, instead of Abraham. To speak disrespectfully to Calvin or the clergy was a crime. A first violation of these ordinances was punished with reprimand and further violation with fines, persistent violation with imprisonment or banishment. It doesn't take long for a position of authority to work out to tyranny for others. Whenever you want your will above God's will, you will it's inevitable that you will institute tyranny on others. Does that make sense? That Jesus came to give us freedom to serve him, and yet we want to position ourselves in a place where we can control that. And I think that's where Jesus is coming at the disciples. is like, you're wanting to sit on my left and right to be in a position of authority? You have it all wrong. It is not for you to be in that position. It is for me, but do as I do. And so Jesus is going to give us an amazing example of how we are to do life. Do life with his authority. All right. So this is great. So the Gentiles, don't be like them. He says, I want you to be. This shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoa, some opposite again. We just saw, saw opposite Jesus saying, I'm dying for you. You're not dying for me. Now we have this opposite. makes no sense. If you want to be great, serve. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slaves of all. This is the third time this has come up in conversation with the disciples. Third time in the book of Mark. And so he's trying to humble them, trying to remind them that humility is how greatness happens. You see that to be slave, be slave of all. You can't even say that on national TV anymore, slave, I don't think. You, I mean, but slave of all. That's powerful language. Slave to Jesus, we... Slave of all. We see that. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What's the second? Is um, love others as yourself. Yet we see Jesus pointing to that. He's telling us, you shall be a slave. How often does Paul say, I'm a bondservant of Christ? It's either a bondservant or apostle. Is how he addresses the beginning of each book. Is that something that could be named of you? Is that something that could be named of me? A bondservant of Christ. A slave to Christ. First to Christ. And Christ is here saying be a slave to all. So second is a slave. Am I humbling myself enough? Am I humbling myself at all? To serve others' interests above my own. To sacrificially serve. That's just convicting. How often do I want those nice and pretty things in my life? Two Lamborghinis and ice cream for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And do I miss the opportunity to serve? 
I love the fact that we had Master Plan Ministry up here talking about opportunities to serve. I love that we had the Bairds and Melissa Taylor up here talking about opportunities to serve. That needs to be the definition of our church. How many opportunities do we miss when we're looking to our own interest, our own glory above others? How often do I miss it? It's just so convicting. This has come up three times with the disciples. Apparently, this is something that we struggle with. If even the disciples can have it come up. So, and so Jesus remarkably gives us an example of what this looks like. What it looks like to be a slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life ransom for many. He did not come to serve, to be served. Of all the people that ever existed, all the beings that ever existed, is Jesus is probably the only one that has every right to say, serve me. Every right. Yet he chose not to. He chose to serve us. Remarkable. He just, he humbled himself. In, I think it's uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2. It'll say this of Jesus 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, slave. You'll see that? And coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That all the names of Jesus, every name should bow. And then of those in heaven and those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. Just so powerful. We have an example of Jesus, and that what, that's what Jesus is pointing to. Humble yourself before God. Make yourself a slave to all for His glory and not your own. How often we struggle with that. How often I struggle with that. I wish to have my will above his. And I think this is a call for us, an encouragement. I love it's a call to the disciples that he's speaking specifically to James and John and all the disciples. It's a call to them to humble themselves, to be servants as Christ is a servant. And if I could encourage you in something this week or forever, me, um, humble yourself before God. Be a servant to all. Because greatness, we all desire greatness, yet greatness is not by the terms this world gives us. Greatness is by the term Jesus gives us. And that is by sacrificing yourself. That's picking up your cross daily, dying to self. That is loving others above yourself. Let this not be named among you. As Jesus was pointing to a church, 
or to the Christians. Let this not be named among you. I love it when I see our church just boldly serving one another, serving our community, first and foremost by sharing the gospel of truth, and second, by meeting the needs of, of our people and meeting the needs of those around us. So good, so powerful. So, um, yeah, but Jesus is our example. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to transition to communion. And communion is remembering that sacrifice that Jesus did for us, that he came to serve us and not us to serve him. Jesus was obedient to death on the cross for our good. And when we come to communion, communion speaks of the body which is broken for you. Jesus says, I will be uh, delivered to the Gentiles and they will mock and scourge him. His body was ripped apart, beaten um, with whips. He was beaten. He had to carry a cross naked down the street. He was spit upon, slapped by those he came to save. Yet he was obedient. At any point, he could have taken himself out of that situation and called down armies of angels to fight on his stead. Yet, he came to serve. And so as we approach we realize, we recognize again the baptism that Jesus was baptized with was death. And the blood here, the, the grape juice is symbolic of the blood that was spilled out for us. That we may have life with him. And so, as we remember Jesus, the great servant, serving us, let's just take these elements in remembrance of him, and not our own glory, but his own. So, um, I'm, I'm going to pray over communion. I'd ask a, a couple of guys to come forward and uh, help serve it, and then the sound music folks can come up too, but um, it's... Uh, We'll, we'll take communion together at the end. So let me pray over this, and uh, we'll do it. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, that gives life. Thank you so much for being the servant that we so desperately needed. So thank you so much for being the example of how we can serve others as you sacrificially served us. Father, I pray that you may put opportunities in our lives where we can serve others, that we can be faithful witnesses to you. Thank you for dying for us. In Jesus' name, amen.